Welcome to Gucci Row on the Rebel HD2. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly, with co-host Will Despart. Sitting Gucci Row like they say up at UNLV. Thanks for tuning in to our courtside conversations covering all things NBA. Young Rebel, young money, nothing you can tell me. What's up, y'all? Gucci Row, episode 10. Finally back in the studio, man. Will, how we doing, Will? Good, how are you? I'm good. Um, you know, school back in swing. It feels good. I uh, My classes are pretty chill so far. Um, yeah, how about you? Things going well? Yeah, I'm just getting back in the sort of things, like you know. I saw you uh, got some, some big news, had the uh, cover story. for Yeah, the, uh, I had the lead story for the Sporting Tribune the other yes, day sir. on the El Segundo Little League team that won the World Series. Big stuff. I've been writing for them recently for and the then, past few months. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you're going to um, be doing the beat for UNLV football and basketball for them too. That is true, yes. I'll be covering basketball and football, and I also cover sports betting throughout the city. So Tough. So, yeah, if, if y'all want to find more uh, words from Will, look on the Sporting Tribune. He's definitely there. Appreciate that. And then, yeah, I uh, for me, I got some um, homework to do. I just got a job with the Golden Knights. Big time. And I'm not a hockey guy by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm going to have to do my uh, due diligence there. I'll show you the ropes. I'm yeah. a Knights fan, so. For sure. It looks like I'm going to have to be converted. So, <laughs> um, But to get into the basketball talk, um we're going to start with a, a little bit of the drama going around the league and then into some more like uh, discussions about where people fit all time and in the context of Hall of Fame. Um, we'll start out, I guess, with the probably less <laughs> less fun stuff from my perspective. Um, first thing is just uh, more drama we've had between James Harden and Daryl Morey since the last time we talked um, I know, like, recently we discussed how their relationship became fractured, and uh, that came to bright light with uh, Harden's comments um, in China, if you want to get into a little bit of that. Well, yeah, Harden in front of a camp full of, um, I believe it was, like, middle schoolers in China, kids nonetheless, he decided to express his frustrations with the 76ers organization and Daryl Morey, completely in English nonetheless, <laughs> in a non-English-speaking country. Which, I mean, I thought that was genuinely hilarious. <laughs> I did too. It was like as much of a power play as you could uh, try and wage. He, Yeah, he basically, he said, and I quote, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be part of an organization that he is a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of the organization he's a part of. That that wasn't me repeating it. He uh, and that's a pretty pointed quote, right? Now imagine him giving that quote in like a gym to a gym full of ten year olds. Yeah, it, the video from China, nonetheless. We don't speak a lick of English. It was an insane. We don't understand what he's saying at all. <laughs> it really was uh, at no fault of their wild. own, just because he chooses that platform to like. That's insane to me. Do you think that's just random timing? Like, he just was that upset and felt the need to do it there? Is there any strategy I mean, involved? I, I like, think he knows that it's going to get out there, but, I well, mean, but there can't there, there couldn't have been much strategy involved because... Like, well, I say that because, like, I saw uh, Andre Iguodala talking about how, um, <laughs> you know, there's some history between Daryl Morey and China. Oh, yeah, yeah, now that you say that. And but. China's not the biggest fan of Morey, so... I don't know. That's a little too tinfoil hat yeah. for me. 
it's definitely getting out there. But um, yeah, it just uh, for context, Daryl Morey, those who don't know, is the president of basketball operations in Philadelphia, and he was there um, in Houston when Harden was there too. Um, but this year, apparently, they came to an agreement that Harden would take his uh, player option, and then he would be traded expeditiously upon doing that. And that was, um, you know, at the beginning of the summer, they went the whole summer. There's been no progress on that front from what has been reported. And here we are with him uh, taking it out publicly. Um, Sam Amick of The Athletic reported that he uh, just had no interest in playing in Philly and did not plan (laughs) in taking part in training camp. And we've all seen what Harden is willing to do when he uh, thinks he's getting the short end of the stick. He's coming into training camp. I mean, if the agreement was that you're going to trade the guy if he re-signs, I don't know how you can expect him not to be uncooperative when the season comes around and he's still on the roster. So, I mean, yeah, it, it seems like Maury knew what he was getting into. I've seen theories that Maury did want to trade him, but he just can't find a partner. So he's kind of just like... It's like a sunken cost fallacy at this point, right? And it's kind of like if if you're in if you're Daryl Morey in that spot and you've guaranteed you take this option and we will move you, but then you get just bad uh, offers. Like, do you think he, he's like obligated to take a worse offer, or do you think it's smart business to just hold? No, on? I don't think he's obligated at all. I think the game's the game. If you want out, I mean, I I think it's slimy that he promised him that he was going to trade him mm-hmm. when. That's obviously not his intention, and his intention is that he's going to farm the best offer. Yeah. But I don't think Harden should be, like, blindsided unless he's, like, I don't know. I think Unless he's, like, too trustworthy or something. I can't really find the word for that, but, like. Yeah. No, I I hear you. I think, too, it's important to point out, like, well, I read this. Bobby Marks was talking about how there's language in the um, CBA that states that I guess any player who withholds his service for more than 30 days upon the start of the last year of their contract is deemed to not have completed that contract, and subsequently they cannot be signed to any professional team the next season, NBA or in China or anywhere else. Like, if he doesn't um, uh, show up and report and um, offer his services within 30 days of the beginning of the year, that's uh, how that works. So I think obviously that puts a lot more pressure on Harden to show up whether he's in the fat suit or not and uh, just go through the motions, which, again, we know he's capable of doing. I think at that point the Sixers will just, like, shut him down and say, listen, I mean, I don't think this, I don't think Daryl Morey's in a position at this point where he's, like, begging James Harden to come back and play for them. I think he just – can't get something that's worth it and won't make him look like an incompetent GM. Yeah. No, that's fair because I feel like Philly's in a tough he's in a tough spot there because like they could easily get flip him for a little less and still be a very competitive probably contending roster just the way that they're built, but that that again is pretty bad business if you do that just because uh you don't want to hold out and try and get the value out of it. So I guess the um, question is, is Harden wrong, like, ultimately, if Maury gave him that explicit understanding that he would not begin the upcoming season in Philly? And I guess my take is, uh, I don't think he's wrong. No, I, I don't. I wouldn't say he's wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to, like, get a favorable outcome in this and that it's, like, deserved. Like, I, right. the game's the game. Like, Yeah, I think in all— you got to be smarter than what he was, and he put his trust into a GM, and if— you do that as a player you can get burned and he got burned especially 
Right, especially like I just thought of in this this free agency market, it was not the strongest that we've seen by any means. No. So if he, it, it definitely would have been a decent chance to go out and try and field a, a contract, but he didn't. Um, and so he got fined a hundred thousand dollars from the NBA for that statement, and the uh, players' association is appealing. So beyond the situation, how do you feel about the fine itself? Do you think a hundred k is warranted? Um, I don't know. I don't really blink at the fines in the NBA. I mean, sure. the rules are the rules. If you know what you're gonna, you know what you say is gonna break the rules, and you get fined. I don't really have much sympathy, regardless if I agree with what you say or not. No, sure. I only ask because I'm. I'm not even. I think you were trying to, or maybe thinking that I was gonna justify. It. I'm on the other end. I don't. I don't know any other. Um, any other uh, job where you could go out and publicly, yeah. like bash your employer and uh, boss and say that they're liars and you do not want to be there and show up with no um, n- with no issues to your job. Well, yeah, in the real world, they just be let go. Yeah. But and they can't do that because he's a $100 million asset. So. Right. And it's not even like, sure, in the real world, but also like in many entertainment industries, that'll happen. Like the, the, um, the, the like protectability that some players have is crazy to me. For sure. Um, so I guess the next one, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, about best point guard ever. This is one that's been interested, interesting to me for a while because, I mean, people are just now starting to swing stuff into there uh, with Magic. But, I, I mean, I've been having that conversation for a while now. But, yeah, so m- my thing is, like, to to add context, Steph was on um, Gilbert Arenas's podcast and got asked, "Are you the point uh, best point guard of all time?" And he just said yes, um, which I I didn't expect to see. Obviously, he got into the nuance of it a bit and said that you know Magic was uh, uh, you know the, is the best passer of all time and all these things. But uh, I guess yeah, instead of the typical like Mike versus Braun stuff the, that you hear around this time. Um, I like that that's a conversation that's been getting um, uh, more interest. Do you think, I wonder where you stand on things, do you think Steph is better than Magic all time if we consider all things? Well, this will probably surprise you since I'm a Warriors fan, but no. I don't think he's better than Magic all time. I think if you compare the two skill sets, I think he might be the better player. But Magic is probably, well, he's the top five most accomplished basketball player of all time, first off. He played in nine NBA Finals. He won, what, five rings? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yep. Like, the guy... Three MVPs. Three MVPs. Three Finals MVPs. But I think one thing that is often forgotten in the Magic conversation, he was... When Larry Bird was in the league, Magic was never better than Larry Bird until Larry Bird's back gave out. So I think that's, like... Not that it like applies much to this conversation, but I feel like Larry Bird's also forgotten in those conversations. And I saw another point from Gilbert Arenas that says if you're gonna say Magic was the best point guard of all time, right? As a six nine guy who playing like the wing as points in his career and was like really operating out of the post too. Like if you're gonna say he's a point guard, is LeBron a point guard? Yeah. And if LeBron's a point guard, LeBron's clearly the best point guard ever, right? Sure. I think that that's a good point. Like, Stephen A. was discussing it, and he took the stance of Steph. Um, but he also said that Jordan texted him and uh, basically said, uh, although 
greatest of anything is always a debate. I beg to differ on the greatest point guard of all time. Magic is easily the best point guard of all time. Steph is very close, but not in front of Magic. He, I guess, went on to say... Easily, this, but it's not very close. Easily, but it's very close. It's funny to me. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> but yeah, he went on to say... Which I think is interesting. You must define point guard to have a to really have a serious debate. Which is correct. Yep. And if you define point guard as primarily a passing role, Johnson excels where Curry does not. And I mean that I don't even know how you could disagree with. I certainly disagree. But I guess the question is, can a point guard really just be measured primarily by his passing? And I say absolutely not. No, because there is even in the like scope of passing. Even if you say that Curry isn't the traditional point guard, because he's not. Chris Paul is more of a floor general than he is like an actual like elite skilled like yeah, he's a ball much... to pan passer. Like but Chris Paul is probably one of the best point guards, well not probably, he is one of the best point guards of all time because of how he sees the court and how right. he like manipulates defenses. That has nothing to do with your actual passing ability, but it's still crucial to being a point guard. Sure. Like I think we could both agree that CP is a far better facilitator and passer than Steph ever has been. And that's true, but he's still not, like. But he's nowhere near the point guard because I think that the scope of point guard extends way beyond just are you a good passer? Can you set up an offense? Like, especially because of guys like Steph um, and before him too, but point guards that have been able to fill it up and aren't much of uh, pass first guys has really expanded the role and especially the three point line has made it so. You have a whole new role as a guard. Like, you have to be able to score from out there. So um, I think that's kind of just like an outdated way of looking at point guard. And, yeah, if you want to look at it that way, like, sure, it's magic by far. I mean, he's clearly the better passer. I think he's clearly the better defender. <laughs> like he, I think we'll has, also need, like, not to interrupt you, but I no, think we'll good. also need the context of history going forward after Steph's career. Because as I, I bring up Bird to say, like a few minutes ago to say, Magic's career looks better in hindsight than it did in the moment because in the moment Magic was he he was racking up these accolades right but he was never better than Bird. Jordan comes along. By the time he's like really in a position to compete with Jordan, he has to lead the league. He gets diagnosed with AIDS. Yeah. Magic retired at thirty-one. Yeah, his he had five championships, nine all or nine appearances in the finals. Whatever All-Star games he had, double digits, I'm sure. Twelve. And he retired at thirty-one. Steph is what thirty four right now, like yeah. it's it's when you look at that it's hard to say okay well if Magic did play he probably even doubles those accolades so right. it's like all right whatever yeah no that's fair and yeah I mean uh it, it, he's third all time in triple doubles like yeah the amount of what he did in his limited span is sure uh definitely worth like um valuing and it's almost like people don't even bring that up like in the modern context like you'll you'll hear the old heads bring it up because they lived it Mm -hmm. but you don't really hear people like discuss magic's career in like a barry sanders context where like he retired yeah in the midst of his prime but it's the same deal yeah i think that's fair Uh, that's kind of just how it goes too like as time goes on like people's careers like the the real like legends obviously you remember all the accolades and all the moments and stuff but when it comes down to like yeah like gaps or like asterisks that should be included in conversations like a lot of those are history doesn't as remember time, asterisks that's so i always say this history does not remember asterisks they're a waste of time nobody yeah. like 
if you go and read like the NBA finals from the 1970s, you're reading those results. Are you really going to go look back at like the Mickey Mouse injuries that happened in the third round of those playoffs? No, nobody cares. Right. In historical context. I wonder that, that that brings up like a really interesting question to me is like, what's the threshold for when people stop caring about asterisks? Because like, I'm sure people uh, cheating still recognize. No, I'm saying like, um, as time goes, like, like for example, I think um I think we could all agree that the Warriors, if healthy, win the 2019 um, finals over the Raptors pretty pretty handily. Yeah, see, but that's part of the thing. Part of the thing about winning championships is staying healthy. Sure, no, I agree. But I'm saying, all right, maybe that's not a. We'll go with 2020. The um, which obviously this is an, a that special I, case. But my my uh, the point I'm trying to get at is like for any reason that we put an asterisk next to some accomplishment. How long, or what makes us decide how long to care about that before we say, "Oh, that it's just the championship doesn't matter." Or whatever. Now, one thing I will say about twenty twenty, and I don't think it's like discounts the championship at all. Before I say this, first off, every championship is earned, but I will say I do think that one has an asterisk that has the potential to be remembered throughout history because of how unique the circumstances were. Yeah, they suspended the season for three months, and then they. For, and th- during those three months, nobody has any idea if the NBA is coming back, right? We, there's talks about it, but nobody – players aren't preparing. Mm-hmm. Players are sitting at home wondering what's going on with the world like everyone else was. And then May, June comes around. They say, pack your bags. We're going to Disney, and we're going to call this the championship. Like functionally, you can call them champions, sure. But it deserves an asterisk because it's fundamentally different than any other postseason in the history of sports. Sure. I don't think it takes anything away from, like... And also, not to interrupt, it goes to my point about asterisks. The asterisks are not always a negative thing, even if they aren't remembered. Sometimes they just denote differences in circumstance. Well, that's what I was going to mention, is, like, like when you think of the year, uh, or, like, the NBA season of 2019-2020, like, yeah, that's definitely going to come to mind for you know as time goes on that's not going to just go away but i don't think and i think for that reason an asterisk is warranted but when people when you like take away from what the war or the lakers did that's where i take issue with it because it's like sure there were all these different um circumstances and like you said like there and was every time team off, had to go through. but yes every team lived in the same bubble every team you know, had the same uh, fishing and hotel rooms and little barber shop. Like they all did yeah. these same things. So I agree, but I think that in in context of that year itself, there's no reason to um, like m- m- make it any special. But yeah, obviously, I don't think like it should not count as like a ring for the players. Or right. Something. Like yeah. I don't think I don't like put it or that it's even. I don't like say LeBron anymore. has like three and a half rings. Like whatever. Sure, if you want to call it a ring, call it a ring. That's fine. But if you're going to tell the story of the season and you're going to tell it accurately, you need to convey that this playoffs were played three months later at a resort in Disney World. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's fair. And uh, I guess just to, to like, find, wrap that conversation up, I think, I think as time goes on, it'll shift more towards Steph. Um, not because of, like, as we mentioned, I think, accomplishments all that accolades um you could probably put magic still but just in terms of like how the game's been impacted and like uh yeah just influence on the generation i think that 
that stuff maybe matters more than people give it credit for. And these opinions shift with time, too. In five, ten years, it might be Steph. In another 25 years, people might see how the game shifts back and go magic. That's something you see with, like, Bill Russell and Wilt conversations. Like, Bill was racking up. Like, Bill Bill was always better than Wilt. If you go back in, like, the 50s and 60s and read what the media and the press were saying, it was always Bill over Wilt. 70s, 80s, 90s comes around, Wilt's status is kind of like mythologized, right? And mm. now you're like, okay, Wilt was like the best player of all time. You see these numbers, Wilt, who, who was better than Wilt, right? Well, I was going to say too, that's a really good point. And it brings me up to like, um, do you think that that like change in scope has to do with like the Showtime Laker era and like how individualized it came became to like be a fan of someone like magic or someone like larry bird and then obviously jordan like takes that to a whole nother level but like people uh the the value of an individual over like team success i think really changed and that's why uh wilts got valued so much more i think I, i i agree with that point to an extent but what i think jordan did and like those players did was they made Gaudi's stat lines more appreciated back in like like the bill russell era Bill was always thought about thought as the better player, not because he was winning, because he was a defensive force, and you couldn't score on the Celtics. Like yeah. you couldn't, there was no doing it. He even shut down Wilt when the time came. But the problem is, like, it's just history. Like it doesn't get remembered as often. Like, yeah, it's just tough to say, I guess, how how much value of that was from winning versus, like you said, individual defense and dominance uh, in the paint. So yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's like a good answer to that, but that um, sort of balance of what people appreciate, I think definitely influences who, like whether they'd say, yeah, like you said, Bill or, or Will or Steph or Magic. So I think that's something interesting to follow uh, as time goes on for sure. Um, the next one too is I want to get into a little bit of Hall of Fame cases for people that are, uh, you know, on the waiting list essentially. Um, there was a, an an uh, article in The Athletic by uh, Mike Vorkanov that I thought was uh, really interesting and had a lot of people around the basketball world talking. Um, and it was just about, like, the the case for guys that have, uh, that are, like I said, waiting to get in. And um, as he notes, like, secrecy and a lack of, like, clear guidelines or criteria uh, kind of define the Basketball Hall of Fame and there's and obviously like with any sport there's never going to be a benchmark of like hit this one number of stat you're going to be in but it seems in basketball like that uh is is elevated there's no real like indicators but so he brings up an example of Chauncey Billups who has been Hall of Fame eligible since 2018 has five all-star appearances three all-NBA appearances a ring and a finals MVP and he's not in the Hall of Fame but Tim Hardaway, senior, has five all-star appearances, five all-NBA, no finals appearances, and no finals MVPs, and he's in. Um, so, yeah, and then we're going to break down some of the more, uh, some of the specific cases, but I think it's interesting how I thought saw someone mention that it's also based on, like, year. Like, for some reason, the NBA doesn't want to just induct, like, two people, so they, like, fill it out based on yeah. how busy the year is. But, yeah, I don't know if I really like that at all. 
but to be fair, like I mentioned earlier, the Basketball Hall of Fame is kind of like the Wild West and is not nearly as like restrictive. Yeah, well, one thing about the Hall of Fame, too, is it doesn't just count NBA. It counts college, FIBA, like internet, like all that stuff. So, yeah. like, a player like Dirk, like, he also gets those German accomplishments in. Like, I'm trying to think of a player that was just great in college and was, like, kind of, like... Like Bill Walton, say. Bill mm. Walton's NBA career doesn't get him in the Hall of Fame, but Bill Walton's also the second-best college basketball player of all time unanimously, so he's yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Like. No, it definitely matters. And I guess we'll get into a couple of those. We'll start with... Um, uh, so he has a list. Uh, he, he kind of tiered them. Um, one of them is called Active Locks, which he's got a list of Giannis, Steph, Anthony Davis, KD, Joel Embiid, Draymond, James Harden, Dwight Howard... LeBron, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi, Dame, CP, Clay, and Russ. Um, you know, I, I think those are all called locks for a reason. I don't know if we need to really get into any of those. Those guys will be all in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I guess to get into and another one he's got is called Retired Locks, which is just just Carmelo Anthony and Vince Carter. Um, Melo, there really needs to be no discussion. He's a lock. He uh, is top 10 all-time in scoring, second in Team USA scoring, three gold medals, not to mention, like you said, college, where he had probably, well, I don't know, maybe one of the most uh, impressive years of any freshman ever when he took Syracuse to the finals. He's also been incredible. Team USA is probably the greatest international player for USA in history as far as statistics and accolades go. Yeah, that's over Kobe, that's over LeBron, that's over... He's KD, second to so. KD only, yeah, and and scoring agreed. And then uh, so I get like I said, there's no uh, discussion there. He's in. Vince is a little more interesting. He's in, but uh, he's made All NBA twice, eight time All Star, but he's twentieth in scoring. And also he had a Rookie of the Year and a gold medal. Um, and so at twentieth all time scoring, I want to mention the top forty seven players in scoring are all in the Hall of Fame. That's Besides Demar, who's Demar Derozan, who's we could discuss, but probably on his way. But so that says that brings me to like how important are moments or like uh, titles? Like Vince Carter is probably the best in-game and contest dunker of all time. Has some of the best moments in terms of like when he jumped over the uh, guy for two. Yeah, like USA. I'm gonna say, like that's like, moments are incredibly important. Yeah, because I think that dunk specifically for Vince Carter is such an important part of like basketball lexicon that it does help his Hall of Fame case because it's one of the most iconic plays in sports history. I agree. And I think that especially in basketball, they tend to take those things into account. The next one is uh, retired but in the mix, which is LaMarcus Aldridge and Chauncey Billups. Chauncey's, again, an interesting case, as I mentioned earlier. I think he should already be in, but... Uh, yeah, and then LaMarcus was a five-time All-NBA, seven-time All-Star, and had more total points and averaged more points than Hardaway, who's already in. Um, so, yeah, I guess those – do you think both of them get in eventually? I, I, mean, I don't I don't know if Aldridge gets in. I think one thing that helps Hardaway is that he had, like, big name rec- recognizability or whatever the word is on. Right, yeah. Brain fart. But, but it's just like, like – he was, even though he wasn't very accomplished, he was one of those like quintessential players of the '90s. Whereas you might think of Lamarcus Aldridge as more accomplished, but like the 2000s and 2010s, you can tell the story of basketball in those decades without Lamarcus Aldridge. Unfortunately, no, that's opinion. true. I agree with that. But 
No, I, I agree with all those points, but also I think that the Basketball Hall of Fame is so loose that he's going to be in, maybe not in the first ballot, but eventually give him... It's fair. They'll, he'll get in. Um, so the active, they have an active, the one called Active Near Locks, um, which is Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Luca, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, and Kyrie Irving. I thought Luca included in that was really interesting. Um, not that it's wrong, but he's only 24 years old. I disagree with that. I don't think he's nearly a lock yet. I think he's going to, I think that obviously like, He's already got – this is the thing, though. Well, yeah, his international career is crazy. Beyond but. that, he's already got four all-NBA first-team appearances, four. He's got top five in MVP voting twice. He's got a EuroBasket Gold MVP in Liga ACB, EuroLeague, and in the EuroLeague Final Four. Um, yeah, it's insane to have that resume at 24. But I guess the interesting, the more interesting thing to me is that uh, Jason Tatum didn't make that one. He's in the next one down, which is called Active in the Mix, because he's got you know three All NBA appearances at 25. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess who do you think Luca has that much better of a chance than Tatum to get in? In the scope of their career, yeah. But I don't look. I still don't look at Luca as. I mean, I get it. Like, I think I he should be in the mix more. I think. Yeah, I think he's just too young. I think it's too early to call a 24-year-old a Hall That's of Fame. That's like, The other people in the... Because the there's still also things that can happen that, like... Like, if Luca comes out and is horrible for the rest of his career, like, people are going to remember well, that. I was just going to mention, like, uh, we'll, we're skipping here, but down to one of the groups is Active and Could See It, which has Blake Griffin, who I'm not going to say was anywhere near a Luca arc early in his career, but... You know, he... Uh, I don't think Mike Griffin's getting in. No, no, I agree, and that's my point. You were mentioning, yeah, like, yeah, what if Luka comes out and get Like, Blake had five times All-NBA, six times All-Star, and then basically got hurt, fell off. And he didn't even get hurt that early. He got hurt in his early 30s, which is, like, if you compare it, like, Magic. Magic got hurt in his early 30s. Yeah, so, so like, yeah, I think anyone hurt, who's... AIDS, but... <laughs> anyone who's that young, you definitely have to, uh, to um, take a grain of salt with it. But uh, and then yeah, the the last um, the last one was called Active and On Track, and uh, this one has Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker, SGA, Jaron Jackson Jr., Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, Cat, and Trey Young. And I guess just uh, to wrap it up, who do you think is the least likely of those to make it, and who do you think is the most likely? I think I missed a few names there, but I'd probably go Cat. Cat, I agree is the least he's you know he's only 27 still but um yeah he had an early all nba appearance and it seems like his career arc has flattened out a bit i, I could agree with that and then who's the most likely most likely to make it uh probably book i think book sga or jaron who just won a dpoi and is like 24 uh but um yeah i'll say i'll say sga as my pick there and um, that's all we got for time here uh, this week on episode 10 of Gucci Row. I appreciate y'all for tapping in as always. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly. Will Despart. Appreciate y'all, man. That's a wrap for Gucci Row this week. Thanks for tuning in on the Rebel HD2 with your hosts, Kevin Kelly and Will Despart. Sitting Gucci Row like they say up at UNLV. You can find us on Instagram at 1KevKelly and Will Despart. We'll see you next time on the Rebel HD2.